wherever you are and welcome to On The Record Off The Cuff. Today we are going to uh, review, chat about, talk about the album 30-something, Carter, The Unstoppable Sex Machine's second album. Interesting this one because we're not all uh, incredibly familiar with this album or more to the point, I'm not that familiar with this album. Uh, I was always aware of Carter's work and stylistically how they did what they did to some degree, but I have to admit, I hadn't listened to this album a significant amount until, yes, you guessed it, pretty recently. <laughs> uh, uh, Ian suggested doing this one, and I'm glad he did because it's been really, really interesting to listen to, get into, critique, have a think about compared to other things at the time, which is probably a little anchor point for me. Anyway, for the general running of this particular podcast on this album, I'm going to hand over to Ian to drive, as I think he's probably the man who knows the most. <laughs> <laughs> Not putting you on the spot or anything. About this yeah. album or just about things in general? Well, you know, just about <laughs> life in general. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm pretty familiar with the album. It's 1991 release, which coincides with me arriving at university and so obviously the, the kind of short-lived Gribo scene which um, obviously the wonder stuff were kind of part of that it's just in the sweet spot uh, for me arriving at college and going to clubs and student union that kind of thing so this was a constant background I'm not gonna say noise let's be kinder than that because uh, I do do like it but 30 something t-shirts were everywhere <laughs> or as you see them now 50 something yeah. t-shirts well actually the album is 30 years old this year yeah so yeah. up until this point i think most student unions or were were full of marillion t-shirts <laughs> um <laughs> and uh i think uh the carter kind of got, got a yeah marillion and made yeah. at that point yeah so yeah, it's a 1991 release it's a second album for people that aren't familiar with carter they are a two-piece that I think spent a lot of their early career answering the question, where's your drummer? Because they didn't have one. They had, they had, well, it wasn't even a drum machine. For the machine. vast majority <laughs> of their career, they didn't have a drummer. No. Towards the end, they did. They'd, but yeah. That's, that's another story. It, it is indeed. So, yes, as, as an album, it follows up their premier release, 101 Damnations, and it carries on the direction they were going. There's no major leap in tone. It's just slightly more accomplished, I would say. Mm. And the signature part, we'll go, we'll go track by track as we have done previously. But I think the general things to note are that we've got a very kind of stripped down sound. as a drum machine, some pads and some very honky sounding synths. <laughs> um, the kind of thing you could buy from Tandy, pretty much. Um, and a couple Tandy. of <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, sometimes set onto brass section. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I I don't think they spent a lot of time moving away from the the, the demo modes uh, and the default mm. settings. Yeah, and some good punk rock guitars and some very snarly, angry vocals. And really, I think that the lyrics are where we probably spend a lot of time on this one. Mm. Having said that, the opening track on the album is an instrumental. So we start with, as they were prone to do, a sample. And the sample that kicks off the album is from Red Dwarf. And it's Rimmer talking about uh, getting old and, and suddenly turning into a fat bastard. And then it comes in with the chant, you fat bastard, which I believe was recorded at a Carter gig. It that, was. That piece. Yeah. It was. 
for those of you that don't know, they they had a, their kind of chief roadie was uh, John Fat Beast. Uh, he'd worked at the club fate nightclub in London and loved carts so much he wanted to get involved in working with them. And he was quite a rotund chap. And obviously, as soon as he got on stage, everyone just shout, you fat bastard. And Carter being never one to look up, give to horse in the mouth, thought, wow, that'd be great. And sampled it from a gig. And John just stood there and just let people just shout at him, throw beer at him. He didn't care. Occasionally caught it in his mouth. <laughs> well, well, I have to say, as part of my studious academic approach to learning a bit about an album and a band and the things that were involved, and especially with reference to the um, to the, to that sample and ensuing chant, um, I t- today had a, a look around for a few um, sort of live bits of concert footage, and indeed, said I saw said gentleman wander out at, at Brixton. And absolutely <laughs> love playing his part in in um, mm. the legend that seems to be our absolutely. Yeah, well, and it's I I think actually it's um, ironically the first time I heard that chant wasn't at a Carter gig. Um, it was <laughs> uh, it was Faith No More, which probably would have been uh, early ninety one when they toured. They did they did the tour as a real thing came out, and it was that never ending tour because they just the album kept selling and they kept just doing another lap of the country at slightly larger venues and, and didn't go home for a, for about a year. Um, and uh, I mean, shortly after that, basically you fat bastard was getting chanted at pretty much every gig, regardless uh, yeah. of what band for, for some, uh, some reason. Yeah. I mean, there is a, there is another sample in this song, which comes in part way through. Is it's very a, much like, it's like a, Howie, is it? yes. Suffragette city. Yeah. The wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, sample from Suffragette City, one of my favourite uh, songs off Ziggy Stardust, which just goes to show they had taste. Red Dwarf and David Bowie in one song. Well, Fair I, play to you guys. <laughs> I, I think that highlights something that's a signature of the band themselves, both musically and lyrically. They're very much, it, it's very much like collage. They collect bits and pieces from all over the place mm. and kind of repurpose them. It's that kind of found art type uh, type of thing so yes uh, the the samples in that but as we get into the lyrics later on there's so many examples of bits borrowed or homage from various places so mm-hmm. the um opening track the instrumental surfing usm it's basically carter in microcosm it's some loud guitars it's some honky keyboards it's a irritatingly hooky tune sounds very simple but it's got a lot of energy uh, yeah. behind it um- one thing they didn't shy away from, and it shows from this song, is the the if you like something might consider it silly the babas the bab 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 and the, you know they the weren't adverse to doing that kind of thing, you know yeah. like, la la baba I do what wherever it's, they felt it was necessary. A bap a bap bap is like a a, a London uh, cheaper version of a Bon Jovi whoa whoa. <laughs> I always think. So that well, in fact, you think. Paddy, you've actually hit on something that if I was asked to kind of sum up this album in one sentence, I would say... Bon Jovi, you're 1991 crazy. London alternative scene. Yeah. Yeah, Summed yeah. Up yeah. Just like that. So yeah. the, London, the Londonness of it, very much so. Uh, which, is, yeah. which is weird, because one thing that struck me was, I was thinking to myself, are they geographically challenged? Because surely they should have been in the Midlands. <laughs> the whole sort of Grebo thing and the stuff is and the poppies mm. and, and, and what but, have you, but obviously not. But no, because he had bands like the Senseless Things as yeah. well, you know. 
uh, Bomb Party, just loads of bands that were kind of all tied into the, the Grebo thing. It started out as a Midlands thing, very much kind of the black country, but it kind of spread its wings and people just got this kind of kinship. It was like a disease. It spread, I tell you. <laughs> I think the Londonness of the band can't be denied. It's there in the the, yeah. the lyrics all over the place. So it references to to the geography, mm-hmm. and they famously didn't drive or anything. So so they were they were a band that used public transport, which is another thing that's handy if there's only two <laughs> two of you and you don't yeah. have to haul a drum kit about. There's also obviously the Bowie sample in there, but they're not scared of celebrating their influences. They're obviously mm. liked glam rock and that kind of thing and music hall and you know it's it's all that kind of yeah uh, that humor and that yeah, london entertainment type of things mm. but with a, a kind of slightly sideways glance to a certain extent you know the, the way that probably the pistols were were doing that that kind of thing and we should probably frame this and say for all intents and purposes carter are, are a punk band really aren't they mm. absolutely I very much uh, they, they very much make me feel like they're a punk band listening to them that shadow without because it's again, it's angry DIY music. It yeah. just happens to be done in a slightly different way, yeah. employing, as Ian said before, Tandy-based technology <laughs> in certain areas, which is it, it is such a weird thing. But ultimately, I, I suppose it's it's quite a brilliant thing. Just just going back to that first track, then for me, it, it, there's a number of things. I always think that this is a bit of a personal me thing. If you're going to have a uh, an, uh, an instrumental track, I often think that the opening spot is the best place to to put it. Um, I'm not saying it. Obviously, it's a second album, so it's not necessarily a declaration of, of intent of this is this is who we are and what we can do uh, with our uh, I don't know technology and ensemble kind of thing. But it certainly shows what a drum machine and a couple of guitars can do. The other thing is as well, it's kind of a it's a set opener, isn't it? You 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 shove it. The, the one at the beginning of the album is the one that you would obviously open the show. You've got a you've got a a sample that um, is in the pop culture consciousness. You've got a chant that comes after it, which, let's face it, is going to is is a trigger. It's, <laughs> it's a livener. Yeah, it livens. It's like absolutely. come on, get into this. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to happen at the gig live. It's a football terrace type chant. And also, you can you can balance your, your levels of your instruments. <laughs> with, with, yes, well, Ooh, that's, now then, that's, that's not as daft as it sounds, as as we all do this live. That's yeah. not such a bad idea, to be honest. Mm. And the other thing, I think that it is because of this song, sort of musically, not just the fact that the word surfing is in the title, but it made me think of some sort of cheesy, cheesy sequence nineteen sort of 90s version of that Dick Dale song on the Pulp yeah. Fiction soundtrack, Miserable. It's like, is it, I'm probably absolutely yeah. butchering the pronunciation there, but yeah, they don't do quite as much on the guitars as Dick Dale did, but it has a it has a certain feel, drive and yeah. build and feel around it, which which sort of keys me into that. So yes, coming to this for the, for the first time, actually paying some proper attention and thinking about it, it was a, a great opening track. Excellent. So let's talk about track two, which is the first non-instrumental track, My Second Last Will and Testament. And I think from here, we see immediately the love of puns um, within, mm. within the writing. Uh, Jim Bob obviously loves language and loves playing with it. Mm. He's gone on to be quite a, quite a good writer. Um, mm. you know, novelist and such. And he is, you know, a very compelling writer, hates lovely pictures. But from a pun, mm. for a start, the title's a pun. Um, My second uh, to, last, sec- will second to last will and testament. Yeah. The first line 
of on the album, the first song line is a pun. So I, mm. James, Robert, Injustice. So obviously, it's not only is it a pun of the uh, established actor James Robertson Justice, but Jim Bob's real name. <laughs> Um, it's it's uh, um, uh, James Robert, um, and it's I, James Robert, Injustice. There's there's kind of three <laughs> puns in one, mm. and that you know the rest of the the song carries on there, being of unsound body and mind. Oh, great, okay, so we just turn around the the standard uh, wording, the will, and it just it just carries on with that kind of thing, and it jogs along quite nicely. Martin, what's your uh, your take on it? Well, for a start, you know, I've mentioned this thing about the Londonness. The sample at the beginning of this is from the classic Alfie. Of course, yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, if you didn't know them from London, here's something that just kind of focuses it. And I've already mentioned in episode one that, you know, there was kind of a line from Paul Weller and he kind of passed on the baton to two people, which is Miles Hunt and Jim Bob. And when it comes to lyricists, they're, they're, some of the lines have written, I mean, like you say, that opening line. And the next line's be, you know, give all my worldly goods to anybody who wants them. It's like, it's just a, such a throwaway line, but it's also like that kind of snarling nihilism of the pistols. And then it just bangs in. And every single word on this, you know, like I say, I haven't listened to it for 11 years. As soon as it comes on, I know every single word because the words are so carefully thought out yeah. that they sink in. You know, uh, but my heart belongs to Daphne. It's just one of those. It's just one of those things that, as an opening song after that uh, instrumental, you're not going to go wrong after that, are you? It, it's it's, just, it's a single in all but name. Yeah. Uh, so, Paddy, what was your thoughts like coming at it with uh, slightly less familiar ears? Okay, this is this is really embarrassing now. Having uh, having previously alluded to doing loads of sort of academic research, as you know, and as I think I said in probably podcast number one. I'm more about music, tune, hook, feel, dynamics, ensembles. It, it isn't I ignore lyrics. Certain things jump out on, at me, certain things don't. I could tell he was very wordy. There are a lot of things that jump out. But again, slightly ashamed of myself, I've just thrown the, the lyrics up for this one to have a closer look. And indeed, it's it's very clever and very funny. The bit I had already noticed is at the end where he screams, die! <laughs> Which I thought was, just ticked it off rather nicely. But going back to... Um, so I guess the the things that struck me about it it was the this is such an obvious thing to say the, vo, the vocally and the way it sounds at the times is really sounds to be channeling and I don't know if there's again years wise and who was bigger at the time it sounds um, his vocal style was very sort of EMF probably with the sort of southern accent type thing but there's some something of that ever so slightly creamy at times voice it's a strange one but um, again that might be just something I'm hearing. There's some really, really intense stabby synth sounds. Yeah. Like, da, 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 da. and and it that's something that can only ever happen if somebody is programming synths and not playing them. And I just yeah. find that absolutely sort of fantastic. But if I take a step back, and this is a, a more generic comment, I, I find myself walking a line with this album. Um, and I was I was briefly discussing this with Ian prior kicking off, but. It's it's interesting to come at something, obviously, gener generally, when you, you, you have an awareness of the band and a sort of general awareness of what they do and how they do it. But to all intents and purposes, if you're looking at it closely, it's new. It's not already part of the cavalry sort of thing. And as I say, having listened to them, the thing that strikes me the most is obviously the, the, the use of this Tandy-esque technology 
and <laughs> the fact that there's no drummer. Now, I'm not somebody who's uh, unfamiliar with the use of, <laughs> of non-live drums in many, many respects of many different bands, <laughs> both executing songs in a live environment and listening to, to a lot of it as well. But the way that they do it is 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 definitely sort of in an absolutely, in an admiring way, not a disparaging way. It's like the pound stretcher approach. So it's kind of strange because I can't get away from the fact that I can't be more positive or add more depth. But nevertheless, I think what they do is really, really clever, but it's sort of, I can't go much further over that line and, and add a great deal more than that. Don't get me wrong, there are a few songs we're going to go over, which I think are different in different ways and are very, very interesting. But in a sense, there is a, I don't want to say the words to a degree, they all sound a little bit the same, but they're certainly closer because of the specificity of how they've been created. And again, the thing that triggered me onto that ridiculous long ramble then was the comment of, and you have these intense stabbing <laughs> since I'm like, I'm sat there going, because I've done it myself, programming stuff and think, okay, somebody, they could only program that. You'd never have anybody really playing that because it wouldn't, it, the mindset going into it sort of not, um, I don't know, not there. But yeah, it's a track, great hooky track, I think Martin said, in, in, in all but any, anything else, it's a single. It's it's a really catchy, catchy track. There's something else on this particular track that, to the casual listener, might get missed, which is the little doff of the cap to the Beatles on one line. You know, where a picture was uh, with a picture of myself oh, on, on the boat, boat on the, the river. river. Yeah, yeah, and it actually it had the the melody because the backing vocals come in. It makes you it makes it actually sound like it's stripped from the Beatles, and it's very much a homage, and it's a doff of the cap. But it's done in such a subtle way because sometimes it can be in your face, can Jim Bob. But sometimes it's just, whoa! Did you miss that? Did you get that? Did you get that thing that I did there? It's a case of he is the sum of his influences, and then a, a chance to actually put that in there. I'm sure he, he actually thought long and hard about that, but most people might not actually pick up on it. It's interesting because actually that line there, which is obviously from the Beatles, "Lucy in the Sky with yeah. Diamonds." in that borrowed from that then there were borrowed from the rolling stones who <laughs> sued the bejesus yeah, out of them uh, for half the uh, the royalties on um, yes. on ruby tuesday well that that was alan klein i think rather than the beat <laughs> the, the, the stones themselves. well it's part of the machine the yeah because he did the same with the verve and when he died the rolling stones actually returned all uh ownership of that to richard ashcroft which i thought was really uh the right thing to do anyway yeah. just one more thing on that the way fruit bat does unless it was jim bob multi-tracking i'm not sure but the way that they do the chorus there's like the main chorus line which is a very very which is a testament to the fact that it's a nice solid melodic hook there is like a what sounds like semi-ad-libbed chorus not quite question and answer but there is the chorus line's been sort of re-repeated and woven in the background i just thought that that was quite nice yeah, Fruit Bat did harmonies and, uh, yeah. and backup mm. vocals. Both their voices are on there. You can usually tell the, <laughs> the difference because yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not quite be... as snarly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound quite yeah. as angry. And I think actually on that point, although it's very kind of snarly, snotty, oik kind of uh, delivery, it's all done tongue in cheek. I, I think, mm. you know, as we said about Miles Hunt in a previous episode, it's kind of knowingly <laughs> angry and there's some intelligence mm. in that it's not a mindless violence kind of thing it's a very um directed and contemplated deliberate decision there 
Okay, so we should move on to Anytime, Any Place, Anywhere, which was actually a single. Yeah, uh, it was indeed. One of a couple off this album. It came out before the album, I think. It was the, yeah, just, you know, yeah. the appetite wetter. An aperitif, if, if you <laughs> pardon the obvious pun. Because obviously, Anytime, Any Place, Anywhere was the tagline of the drink martini. And this is very much a song about drinking. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, actually. The whole thing, if you look at the, the lyrics and the song titles and what have you, the whole thing is just peppered with pop culture references, mm. some of which don't exist anymore. But, you know, uh, we'll, we'll spot them. A lot of them were very familiar to people. They were, you know, they were phrases, advertising slogans, catchphrases from sitcoms and TV shows and, mm. uh, and what have you. And just contemporary references, some of which have disappeared into obscurity. And if you're of our vintage, uh, <laughs> that still makes sense. Yeah. But some of these lyrics must be absolutely impenetrable to some young millennial looking at him now. Yeah, I'm going to say so full of in jokes. I, I haven't listened. I haven't listened all the way through all the albums yet. But if the shake and vac isn't mentioned at some point, I'm going to be massively disappointed. <laughs> I'm going to have to let you down there, Paddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can't think of a shaken no. back reference <laughs> specifically. No. Um, so again, we're kicking off lyrically as we mean to, to go on. The very first line is a pun. Mm. And it just carries on. So Tequila Sunrising, obviously, we've got Tequila Sunrise. Now, Harvey's Bristol uh-huh. Moon, that's that's two references because we've got, obviously, Harvey's Bristol, Bristol Cream Sherry, but then there was the Shine, on Harvest, shine on Harvest Moon. but mm. And then Shine on Harvey Moon. The wartime sitcom. sitcom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we've got two lines there, and we've got three, three puns, uh, two of which are stacked on top of each other. The third line, I mean, talking about put, put cult references, put the binatone on snooze. I mean, we're talking about clock radios, binatone being your kind of budget everyman brand that you could mm. probably buy in Tandy. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Um, so, Martin, do you want to uh, say something about uh, about this one? It's very much a, a verse-chorus kind of song, which sometimes Carter do deviate from, almost to a storytelling thing. But this is very much a case of, right, okay, here's a pop song, which is ironic, pop music, pop drinking. Um, and the amount of work, I mean, there's, there's a particular part of this song I could never, ever, We'll sing along to it all apart from this particular bit, which I'm going to recite to you. Try agoraphobic, schizophrenic, paranoid attacks of panic, epileptic bits of laughter, 25 million mornings after. I could never get those lines out when, yeah. when I was singing along because, again, it's that intelligent writing. To me, it always references a song by the jam called A Bomb in Water Street, uh, which has a similar kind of thing where the words are tripping up on themselves almost, but th- they fit perfectly. But if you try and you know, as the writer, they fit perfectly. But as a singer of of like just joining in, it's not as easy to do because you think it's going to be one or the other, and you get the wrong one. And <laughs> but it immediately puts me in mind of that particular song, which, as I said, you know, the the baton being passed on, and it's just a perfect example of you know the wonderful craftsmanship of of lyrics. Yeah, there is something incredibly genius and perverse about that kind of mishmash of of lyrics. It's it's just, it's almost wizardry, isn't it, really? I, I, I love that kind of thing. Now, the funny thing about this track for me was, uh, and what's the irony, the, the irony of the statement I'm going to make is, I thought they'd sampled Utah Saints. <laughs> yeah, irony, but... Um, Long before. Yeah, because I thought that initial synth pad was Solution by Utah Saints. Having listened to it, I don't think it, well, it wasn't, it was a different key, but unless they shifted it, but 
Uh, that, that, weirdly enough, that was the first thing that struck me because I know that album very well. I thought, oh, hang on a minute, have they sampled the samplers? Who watches the watches? Well, who samples the samplers in that <laughs> if that were, were to be the case? Um, yeah, to be honest, I think this is my favourite track on the album. This has, uh, again, because I'm not coming at it from a, 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 a sort of 50, 60% lyrical brain, there is something about this song which is a li- little bit heavier and a, a li- has a bit more gravity to it. Very, very catchy. Really like it. I don't really know where else to go with that. It, it's, it's, it's a banging little tune that sounds like it has a sample from a Utah Saints <laughs> song. And as you've said, it has some incredible juggled lyrics, which uh, I have no idea how people come up with stuff like that. It's just, just like crazy. It's crazy. I mean, the Disneyland or Dipsomania, name your poison, pick a flavour. <laughs> it, it is genius. No, that kind of stuff is genius. Yeah. Really, really clever stuff. Particularly in a pop song. It's, and again, it's that juxtaposition. There is a, an aspect of, of Carter. It's, it's very thin and very light, light and very minimal. Yet that you know that kind of lyrical wizardry is there's a complexity to it, a depth, and I find that fascinating. You know, some everything else is simple, but listen, you know, listen to this; it's great. The, the the last verse starts off, and it just sounds like he's written a list of things he saw on the shelf at the uh, off license. Um, <laughs> but you know, moonshine, firewater, Captain Morgan, Johnny Walker, Southern Comfort, Moe's Ruin, and then. Because he can't resist it, here comes another <laughs> pun. Uh, happy hours of homeless brewing, which actually that yeah. it's it's a pun on homebrew, obviously, but also because it's homeless, because it's a a verb, and um, uh, uh, actually an ad- adjective, depending on ha- how you look at it, um, because the song's all about um, uh, indulging in alcohol too much and and, and the um, the dangers thereof. Mm. Um, you could you could take brewing to mean uh, actually engaging or drinking. Um, mm. I I'm doing some brewing tonight. Tonight, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and and homelessness is is one of those kind of kind of things that comes back. It's a recurring theme throughout kind of down and out things. It, the, the, the the kind of two sides I think with with the lyric you get these kind of kind of smart haphazard kind of songs that are obviously thought out these kind of collage type things. And then you have the other things which are kind of vignettes and storytelling, the mm. two sides to, I think, the, the lyrical content. And there's bits in, in this song, I think, where both of those sides of things uh, collide quite, quite pleasingly. It's one of those where the sort of dual meaning of a thing points in a very serious direction in spite of the... Oh, I don't know use words that sound disparaging. In spite of the sort of thinness of the delivery after a fashion, the depth is there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's deceptive. Intent. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's easy to dismiss a lot of Carter stuff as being, oh, I put my Bon Tempe on demo mode and shouted over it. You yeah. know, if you wanted to be on Carter, you could see how that could be, you know, an attack. Not that I would agree with that for Couldn't one minute. Couldn't further than the truth, but, no, absolutely. But, you know, there, there, there is a certain simplicity to a, a first-time listener, but it's infectious and full of energy, mm. and that's what kind of draws you in. Cool. Um, so... Let's move on to A Prince in a Pauper's Grave, which is kind of a sister song to Anytime, Anyplace, Anywhere. It's touching on basically the same subject area, really, mm. about alcoholism. And the effects thereof, yeah. This time with a, a slightly darker look mm. there. 
And I guess, actually, from what I was saying before about the kind of collage-type lyrics and the vignette-type lyrics, this is more in your vignette style. This is more of a, a story. Yeah. And something you mentioned at the beginning, Ian, which is that kind of English music hall. Yeah. If I was my one sentence, this is very much a dark English music hall. It's music hall of the past musically, to a degree, but with very modern-day spin lyrically on it. There's a bit where, you know, alive, alive. It's very, it's, it just reminds of, it's got like a German umpire kind of feel, the kind of classic musical kind of feel, and also um, a real dark macabre. Like you say, it's, it's a darker take on, on the previous song. I love, I love the fact, off the back of what we've had so far, we have a waltz. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's it's yeah. daring. It's gone there. It's clever. It has the musical overtones, like you say. Um, I don't know of all things I didn't expect it was to have a waltz. And then if I look at it sort of from the other view, Tandy, Bon Tempe, button tempo number two, waltz. Let's just, all right, let's write a song around this one. Click. It's just, it's, again, it's, it's pound stretcher genius. It really is. Love it. And Ian, you you were on about cultural references. Um, there's just two lines in this that I think are just absolute genius. So it's the the fact that he refers to something Ford Capri orange and Volkswagen yellow and gold. <laughs> it immediately takes you to a, a place in time, but you know you know exactly what he's referring to. Uh, absolutely, and and those lines come after the American graffiti line. And yeah. uh, so actually, so American Graffiti, as we know, the, the um, George Lucas movie, but also this is a, a time where that kind of stylized graph writing was starting to appear uh, to be more visible to the mainstream, uh, I guess. You, you'd got, you'd got uh, graffiti in uh, British cities moving over from, you know, you tend to... Uh, um, the scrawls into something that was more of a artistic um, endeavor, and very much in that American, especially kind of New York hip hop uh, mm. style. And and again, this kind of puts it in place because you think that's you know that's what the late eighties did start to look like. Our cities started to get decorated with this influx of American youth culture, visually as, as well as as well as music. Yeah, yeah. the other thing uh, again for. Away from the lyrics for me, typical, but the, the dynamics, there's an absolutely excellent lift. Yeah, you send a whole song waiting for that lift. Yeah, yeah. the way that they, again, use these, it's, you know, some of the sounds, things like this data usually. I mean, if you use, um, let, me, let me love the quote, I think it said, the, the quote, the, the sort of Wikipedia quote was recorded in 20 days on eight track costing £4,000. I have no idea whether that's true or not. <laughs> but we'll say for the sake of argument, it's something like, and the type of equipment you would use then is going to date. If somebody's using some nice analog synths in the 80s, but thousands and thousands of pounds worth of production and what have you, and they were expensive, then all right, stuff might still sound better now, but there's some some such chintzy sounds but having said that as i said the lift when it lifts really sounds yeah kind of big and, and and quite serious um so you know plenty of respect for that i think that's a, the first point in the album where you do realize there's production going on yeah, yeah. and it you know it's not just the the songwriter it's not just some simple uh kind of simple instrumentation 
there is actually some studio decisions and some arrangement decisions and some production going into that. And that's a classic songwriting technique to do that turnaround in the chords, throw those pads on there and bring the whole whole thing up. And it is, you, you kind of, as you're getting closer to that, as a listener, you're just waiting for that, <laughs> that bit where that, when that uh, when that arrives, yeah. yeah, and kind of you know when the 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 backing well, I say the the harmony, the ba ba da bas, and then when it drops down right at the end, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a case of it sounds like it's going to get cheerful. No, no, no. Yeah, back. yeah. Don't we're, don't forget what this is about. Message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can't do this uh, for every song, but yeah, it's just chock full of puns as well and references. Mm. Uh, go Johnny, go go. You know, it's. <laughs> Yeah. They're all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Um, you spot more every time you, you kind, you kind mm. of look. Next track, Shopper's Paradise, which talking about puns, this has got my favourite pun of all Carter, and I think probably of all music, actually. We've got a free pair of flares with every hip replacement. <laughs> it's, just, it's a fantastic lyric. It's so much fun. But also, from a pun point of view, Speaking with my other hat as a comedy writer and what have you, the notion that um, certainly at that point in, in, in time, if I would uh, had been forced to wear flares, that would very much have been replacing my hip, my cool, uh, my, my street cred with something else. And I just I just love that. Just love that. Line. Yeah. yeah, well, this song just screams to me, we love pop music and... Yeah. There's there's a, there's a, a line in there which references another band, uh, actually just which is the Pet Shop Boys, and you, yep. they were massive fans of and friends of the Pet Shop Boys, and you can tell in this because it's just such there's still some darkness in this. The the, the overall kind of perverting feeling I get from this song is pure joy. Now from the moment that the, the tune kicks in, like it's got that. It's got like department store jingle at the beginning. It's almost like it's just bang. It's you know it doesn't sound anything like it, but it does put you in mind of the opening theme to Open All Hours. Uh, not Open All Hours. Um, <laughs> are you being served? Are you being served? <laughs> yes. Brown golf infection. Yeah. You know, exactly. and it's got yeah. that. It's even got that yeah. kind of staccato delivery. You know, on that, that, yeah. Lot, Sorry, I'm going. Yeah. I'm going to be a contrary beggar, but I the. The bells at the beginning, it makes me sound like, I think it sounds like, like a Christmas song. <laughs> it does. Well, it's that. that it's funny you should that mention way. that because actually in my hand, I have the, re, they redid the song as a Christmas gift for the fans. And it was Christmas Shoppers Paradise. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I, has, has it got sleigh bells on it? That. I didn't know that. It does. <laughs> Well, I didn't know well, that. I promise. I promise I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, I know you won't be able to see it in Radio Land, but. Uh, Ah uh, yes, 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 yes. Very good. For those yeah. of you, for those of you listening in black and white, that won't make any sense at all. <laughs> the greens behind the brown. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's uh, another another song that could have been a single. Frankly, yeah. Um, the the whole consumerism riff wasn't lost on me. Um, I, I, again, I, I love the approach. Like the the last two songs. Um, any well, particularly any time, any place, anywhere, because it's a more of a pummeling execution. With a sim, sil, similar amount of sort of syllabic attack in terms of of, of words, I guess that that sort of owes more of this. But you know, now he's got his wrist. It's like, well, throw throw words at it, word, 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 word. And I do like that. I think that's great. There's one thing I was going to ask if you guys knew. There's the little sample, the elevator go. Nope. Is that the courier on Spaced? 
the guy who's I the don't think Mark that would have been afterwards. Would it have been yeah. after? Uh, in yeah, that case, they. I don't know if it was. I th- I, the it same sounds guy. like it, it, sound it, like it actually sounds like Jim Bob. Yeah, quite possibly. Then I'm just not mm. familiar enough. I'm I'm, ca- I'm coming to, jumping to conclusions and falling straight off the edge. But um, yeah, another. Yeah, another this, great tune. this is my favorite song of the whole album because, like I say, it's it's still got the darkness of some of the lyrics, but it's just it's the thing that sold the album to me when I heard it. I thought, oh wow, what a fantastic pop song! And I'm a sucker for a pop song. Yeah. A pop song with great lyrics. You tick the boxes for me. I can <laughs> sing along to it. You got you've got all three boxes ticked. You've won. That's me done on that one. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, nothing more to to say other than you know, do yourself a favour, read the lyrics, see how many puns and, and cultural references you can spot. Mm. Uh, because it's practically two or three per line of lyric, and they're very, very good, intelligent, thought out, multiple meaning puns which is not an easy thing to do at all i think i i would be recommending people go and listen to this album immediately and try and work this stuff out it's i mean when you look at some of the lyrics it's almost like jim bob had a, had some kind of disease and he couldn't leave anything unpunned yeah, mm. yeah sli- slightly unhealthily driven in that direction <laughs> yeah and he mentioned at the beginning i don't think it's any surprise that he's gone on to be quite a prolific writer both yeah. of novels short stories and his memoirs, and if you haven't already bought them, I recommend you seek them out because they are, you know, yeah. For a, for a start, the Carter memoirs, it doesn't feel like he's being dishonest, having been around at the time and seen what was going on. You know, it, it's very much an honest portrayal of events, whereas you know he's not trying to uh, dress it up as something it wasn't. And it, and it's really great to actually see someone writing the truth uh, in a way that is engaging. And his, you know, his, uh, his short stories are fantastic, and you know, his novels, buy them. Anyway, yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's the end of what would have been side, side one. one. Uh, and I'm trying to think; it's probably vinyl. I I had this on. Flip mm. uh, it over. Yeah, flip it over, and we're yeah, came on... with came with the came to get full sleeve with a free poster, and the poster was what was on the inside of the CD, uh, yeah. which is all, all the team wearing the thirty something t-shirts, <laughs> apart from, of course. <laughs> John Fat Beast, who had 27 written on his belly. Nice. <laughs> Just to be contrary, God bless him. So, starting opening track on side two or track six in the CD world is uh, Billy's Smart Circus. Again, a pun. Just by moving <laughs> that S, <laughs> you've, yeah. you, you've, uh, you've made a pun. Well, I'll start because I don't have too much to say about this. I, I've made a note that some of the synth sounds make me think of. Uh, some modern K-pop bands that I I hear hear through my uh, my daughter, and she she listens to quite a lot of K-pop, and uh, it's very very produced and very very angular synths, tons of angular production, uh, and this kind of made me think of that. But now I'm thinking of the song, I can't actually remember specifically which parts it was. Again, what you'd expect: frenetic attacking. It's very fast. slash keyboards. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like the way that it kind of builds and layers before the, the vocals hit uh, from a dynamic perspective. Uh, Ian, tell me what the song's about. <laughs> <laughs> Help! Right, well, it's one of those which it kind of changes a little bit. This is a, an odd one for me because lyrically, I love it. Musically, I don't. You know, I can, I can, I'll be absolutely upfront and honest and say as a, as a song, it's one that I've all, I'd like to read rather than listen to. Hmm. Yeah, the, lyrically it has a feel of that kind of um, taste of honey kind of vibe, you know, 
sixties classic film. Yeah, kitchen sink um, drama type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's it's you know it's dark, it's somber, but it's it's pictorial. And for me, this is just me personally, not because it's a drum machine, but the drums are far too giddy to for me to absorb the lyrics. And it's something that I've always felt so that I hadn't, like I said before, I haven't listened to this album for quite some time. And out of eleven songs, I could tell you about nine of them without ever having to listen to them again. I could tell you everything about them. This was one where I just remember saying to myself, "I like the lyrics." And for it to start side two, I thought, "Oh, I'm not going to like this side as much." But because I, I had it on vinyl, the lyrics were bigger than they are on the CD, and I just thought, "Wow, some fantastic kind of this little short story lyric." I'll I'll stick with reading it, and I'll just move my needle onto the next track next time because. I just couldn't deal with the giddiness of drum machine. It just it felt too. <laughs> it's and I couldn't enjoy it. It's it's a bit like so, it's a bit like the the um, stabby synths that I mentioned on my second to last will and testament. If you're programming drums, you sometimes do things which are which are odd, and they just don't. You know, they're so sort of unreal and synthetic and obviously something that people would not naturally play. I don't take that as either a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. And I do wonder, it's interesting that you're not as keen on that, Martin, because obviously you're a, you're a accomplished drummer. So I, I will take your word for that one, mate. Like I said, lyrically, there's, I'm gonna, again, I'm just going to read this one little bit. I stand accused, your grace, of the seven deadly cynicisms and a total lack of faith. What... <laughs> wonderful words and for me i lose them amongst the freneticness of the drums mm. and that's one where it, it works better in written form than it does in musical form for me Fair. so jim bob thank you for the words no thank you for the music I'll, I'll take a hit i'll take a miss on that one fair enough i would say though uh live because it's got a very singable hook chorus and a la 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 la's. It is a whole different beast with an audience. Yeah, it's it, from going to see Carter quite regularly, um, and Jim Bob and various different guys as they've done. I've seen it and I've seen the crowd go for it, and, I'm, and I, I just seem to kind of just for that one, I seem to just stand back on it because <laughs> I, I just I still can't get the feeling. I, I get that other people get it because you know that's why some people like Abba and some people like Law More Death. You know, uh, and some people like both. Yep. <laughs> it's just one of those things that I just, I just can't get that one. And I, I, I want to love it because I love the lyrics. But there we go. Cool. That's, that's right. Well, so let's move on then to Bloodsport for All, uh, which, I mean, there's, there's no mystery as to what this one's uh, uh, yeah. about. It still is now, unfortunately, but it was very much in the news at the time, dealing with kind of uh, bullying and racism in... The armed forces, the armed forces yeah. to the extent that I think the BBC ban it, yeah, because uh, obviously we had the the first uh, kind of Gulf War coming at this time, and mm. um, yeah, it, it was, was seen it was as on a the list. anti-military. Oh, it was Sixty-eight guns, <laughs> yeah. So again, this one lyrically fantastic from a musical kind of direction. There are characters sketched mm. within the, the lyrics. Uh, introduced in you know a single line, which actually gives you fleshed out characters. You you can picture mm -hmm. Corporal Flash and Sergeant Kirby and you know all, all the all the rest of them. You know, and it's it, it, again, it's 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 full of references. You know, the big bananas um, thing. Obviously, that was you know not just in the in the forces, but you know that was a the kind of thing you'd see 
the uh, uh, racist and right wing elements of uh, football crowds throwing mm. uh, throwing around, uh, you know, up and down the yeah. the country, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think that it was. It's that, well, gladly that seemed to be the tail end of it until fairly recently, where yeah. now as they don't seem to do it so much at the grounds, but on Twitter and 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 everywhere else online, you know, because they think they said behind a keyboard. Um, but um, for me, when I hear this song, it puts me in mind of two things. Glam rock and the Sweeney. <laughs> it's just got that kind of stomp, you know, that kind of swagger yeah, to it. It has the uh, the glitter yeah. the glitter band drums, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very much so. And I, I grew up with that kind of stuff. So as soon as I heard this song, I thought, I'm on home ground. But as Ian said, the, the, the lyrics of it are so hard-hitting. I mean, the chorus, the coldest stream guard of them all says, God save the queen, is, blood sport for that all. That is such a good line. That is such a good yeah. line. I do wonder if if he had a trigger for this. It just seems quite a... Obviously, there's other things which are... You know, he's obviously writing about things like that, alcoholism and consumerism and things like that, but this feels a little bit specific, so I just wonder if if I was to read his memoirs, if I'd get whatever the trigger was for this, because it does feel as if he's aware of a particular story or had perhaps a particular experience, I don't know. But um, this, this song sticks out like a sore thumb in quite an important way for me i think it's because it's so pointed and so specific the the just before this was released or before it was recorded that there was a, a very famous case of uh of a, a member of the army who, who was massively bullied to the point where he committed suicide and i think that was kind of probably the catalyst of maybe it was Jim that, Bob yeah. feeling compelled to put pen to paper you know informed if you like and rather than just not saying anything it's like well actually anyone who reads those lyrics and doesn't come out of it thinking racism is bad bullying <laughs> is bad yeah then you shouldn't be at our gigs you know and the, the, you know they, they they align themselves to you know make it very clear how they felt about things which is wasn't shall we say uh an easy thing to do around that time because like like ian was saying there was still racism was still shall we say uh not frowned upon as as much as it should have been. Oh, casual racism was mainstream. Yeah. yeah. So consequently, for me, uh, any, yeah, any artist who will uh, throw it back over the fence and say something declarative that this is not good enough and this has to stop and, and presents an example, uh, all power to him. Brilliant. But the, yeah. the, there are plenty of, hey, guys, isn't racism a bad thing songs out there? This is so pointed and so yeah, very <laughs> intelligent specific. by yes. telling a, a story absolutely indelibly. It's it's an it's yeah it's not is here's a general thing that would make humanity better. It's like here's an example of a manifestation that's very specific, mm. and and that's that's quite a powerful thing. And yeah. I go, I go back to I'm getting really boring with this, but I go back to again in the context of how this band's put together, how it sounds, and and. The component parts it gives it even more gravitas and it, it's it's more pointed and it lands harder to me yeah i mean t- t- what what really kind of measures this for me is the to say that the delivery of the chorus it's 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 so obvious that you know there's there's not not angst isn't the right word vitriol like real anger yeah and he's mm-hmm. you know and he's making sure that that doesn't get lost in the message very much Right, let's move on from racism in the armed forces to domestic abuse. Mm. Um, 
sealed with a Glasgow kiss. Again. Don't say it. Don't say it. Another pun in the title. (laughs) (laughs) And I know because having, like I say, from from day one, they were fans of another band. Uh, They did a cover of, of this particular song. This always put me in mind of the Buzzcocks classics, Everybody's Happy Nowadays. Mm. And I don't think it's coincidental that they chose such dark lyrics to a tune that puts you in mind of that kind of feel. It's like everyone's not happy nowadays. You know, it, there's there's a story to be told. But putting it amongst that buzz so kind of uh, buzzcocksy like punk rock adds extra impetus to the lyrics for me on this one. Yeah, and you've got... It's a very upbeat um, uh, sounding... Uh, sounding song and you've got the dugga 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 sequence synth bass part going on with some brilliant guitars crashing I, over the top of yeah, it I, I love the fact that it's a guitar intro i it yeah. had had you heard a quote from uh, joey ramon saying one two three four before those guitar parts came in that that, that it sort of has <laughs> yeah. some parity um yeah but yeah i like the intensity of it uh it feels mm. a little bit more straightforward delivery uh in 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 most ways I like this one. I do like this one. And I bet it was yeah. an ace live. Yeah. Well, I got to see uh, Jim Bob uh, just before Christmas and someone just shouted out for this song and him and the band just went straight into it. And it was like, I haven't heard this song for so long. <laughs> and it was delivered with the same kind of verve and passion. You know, it wasn't a case of, oh, we'll do a song from a thousand years ago. It's a case collectively it was like bang yeah i remember you because this is one of the songs i haven't heard for so long because there's out of this album that said there's like seven songs that could have been singles for me this this isn't one of them but i still love the song because it like i say it puts me in mind of that buzzcocks classic and it bops along nicely which is weird considering the one i didn't like bops along it's just kind (laughs) of the, the, the the rhythm of how it bops along yeah the too too many snares on the previous one for me whereas this one it's just Punch the way it's punctuated, it's punctuated. Pardon the pun. Oh, well, I've got Jim Bob disease. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this one has slightly fewer puns and is more kind of vignette. The the kind of puns are more in terms of the mirror mirroring of the uh, the verses. You know, so starting with the worship the ground you walk on, um, etc., and you you turn that round to a you know desecrate the ground you walk on. Um, you praise the place where you sit, turns to put nails in the place where you sit. So it's it's a different kind of. It, 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 actually, the lyric to me sounds more kind of um, in the vein of a Paul Heaton kind of thing. It's it's that yeah. kind of um, story type yeah. uh, type of thing. A, a little you know, a little play, a little little vignette. I mean, I said it again so that there could be no misunderstanding. That the, the closing lines, I haven't heard it for so long, and I've just read it, and it's. It, it it's hit me in a way I was like, ouch, ouch. I wasted the space that you talk from, your teeth and those unlucky lips. Yeah. 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 Powerful stuff. Yeah. Pop pickers. <laughs> yeah. But in a great pop song. Great yeah. punky pop song as well. So that's me done on that one. As it should should be. Uh, Paddy, have you got any uh, more thoughts on that? Not to put you on the spot, but... No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I, I, for me, this kind of highlights where I'm going sort of thematically critiquing this album from the perspective of somebody who's not, hasn't up until this point been particularly immersed in it. The same, the sameness of the songs make it, it is, it is harder to pick loads and loads and loads of stuff because these are simple, succinct 
songs and messages. Um, now, I'm saying all this. Falling on a Bruise did weird things for me, which is interesting, but we'll get to that uh, after we hopscotch the next song. But um, <laughs> yeah, not much really. It's more it, it's more straight ahead. I like the guitar intro, John Ramo, uh, Joe Ramone, one, two, three, four, eight. Yeah, just made sense. Just made sense. Live song and like uh, it, it it is more comfortable from a sort of program drums point of view when the drums are programmed for something that that a human would likely play as opposed to something that a human probably <laughs> wouldn't play with sort of millions of, of of bouncy snares and so on and so forth. So that does all make perfect sense to me. What might I say? Okay, so we'll move on to uh, say it with flowers, acoustic um, guitar. A nice little mm. bit of acoustic guitar. Not what I expected right at the beginning, but that was yeah. nice. <laughs> and I, I think this is um, so. So 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 it was so just to contextualise. It's a well, it's a kind of anti-war song, isn't it? Full of puns again, or or, or kind of um, uh, cultural references. Um, you've got to or kind of bits that that uh, that kind of rhyme with. Um, by the time she gets to Phoenix, um, that uh, country song is in there. Mm. You know, you, you, you can tell what records Jim Bob's parents had in the house. <laughs> um, a, and what know, they watched on telly, yeah. Yeah, there's a, a, lot, a lot of that going on. So, yeah, so we've got acoustic guitar. Uh, and then there's some uh, talking about programming stuff. Um, it's writing by sequencer, basically. Yeah. You, you've, got, you've got 16... 16 little blocks here which which note and sound you want to put into each block or is this something that you've played in on your midi keyboard or is this something you've written in sequence of when i mentioned earlier on that out of 11 you know 11 tracks on this album there was uh nine that i could remember straight away and this is another one that i, I remember thinking it starts out like it's going to be acoustic number and then all of a sudden it just kicks in and that's the only thing i could remember about it uh, again, the lyrics, you know, but it's one of those songs that pops along nicely, but doesn't leave an indelible impression on 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 my heart. The lyrics do, but as a song, it it bounces, but it doesn't touch that kind of emotional base with me, mm. which is weird because so many songs on this album do. Yeah, it doesn't scream single. Yeah, nearly, nearly all killer, nearly no filler for me. <laughs> There we go. Uh, cool. So on to the aforementioned falling on a bruise. Well, you see, I've got this. I've got this weird theory about this song. This is going <laughs> to go. This is going to go down so badly. But um, for a start, the name of the song. And there's something so so poignant about falling on a bruise. I, I, <laughs> that really just hit my poignant bone completely. I, I very very much so. It. <laughs> It's gonna be so funny. So this, by by any other reckoning, this song is November Rain. <laughs> now, <laughs> wow, there's a curveball. No, it, 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 <laughs> I, I, I am being I am being sort of slightly funny about it, but it, it, it's just like there's like two bits of this song that, that there's a bit about halfway through, right? And uh, there's a bit where you get like the um, the sequenced snare going. Tap 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 tap, and that's where you should have a rock. That's I expected to see Slash at the top <laughs> of a mountain with his 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 hair top underneath hat, yeah. his thing flying and and leaning back 
in his as only slash can with a Les Paul in the groinal position, you know, <laughs> bending some screen, strings sort of thing. And then that doesn't happen. You get these little, <laughs> you get these little peppy, uh, so for brass sounds, which is in a completely different way, just as good. But, uh, and that's just after about halfway, but then you get the motif repeat and repeat and repeat towards the end in the same way as the, as the November rain motif repeats and repeats and repeats the second half of the song all the way to the end. And then ironically, there is a little bit of what sort of could constitute a bit of a guitar solo as it fades out. So for some bizarre reason with my with the, my limited time spent with this album, this it sort of makes me think of November Rain, which I'm sure he would, the guy, you know, I'm sure he'd absolutely hate me saying that now, saying it slightly tongue in cheek. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, really interesting. Such a, such a, again, such a melancholy tune, um, melancholy tune from an otherwise very up and in your face for the most part. It's not even a waltz. Hmm. Um, yeah, some, again, something oddly mystical and whimsical about this which started at the um, beautifully monikered name of the song and kept going, uh, and obviously with a side window and not a wink to November Rain, as previously said. <laughs> that's, I think that's probably the, the first time anyone's looked at this album and, and, and come with that comparison. <laughs> I can see where you're coming from. It's, a, it's, an, it's mm. an interesting point. But yeah, uh, the title, Falling on a Bruise, I mean... Sod's law. What a poetic way about talking about getting kicked when you when you're down and things going from from bad to worse. Um, again, some some lovely lyrics in there. You know, uh, I've lost lost the will to lose. That's a interesting little thing there. I like the the duct the duct bills. Um, yeah, kind of avoiding paying duct bills. Um, and silly uh, sort of Brian Mills catalog. I don't, does Brian Mills yeah. catalog still exist? I mean, it's another no. thing of its time. To, to me, again, going on cultural references, the thing that always stuck out for me was the you need your Nutrisweet Daddy or some peppermint paddy or some Hackney Old Cabby who yeah. can drive your babby away. They kind of the Nutrisweet because that was you know the the big thing you know the alternative yeah. sugar. It's like you know clever. Um, and the hackneyed old cabbie. Yeah. Again, some people might not get that reference, but this is going to be my kind of weird take on this song. And I say this because of how it's performed live. It's a football terrace song mm. of the darkest variety because the, the band will start it and the crowd just take it over. And, yeah. it's, and it's like a chant, the way it's done. It's like the most intelligent. You know what? Sometimes you hear chants at football matches and you just go, oh, bravo. That's a, mm. that's a really well done chant. And, Weirdly, a lot of those people that do those, I see at Carter gigs. You know, I've, I've got fans that go to the Leeds gigs and the Leeds matches, and they actually do the chants and the the intelligent ones. You know, referencing, you know, pop culture and things like that. Um, you know, there's there's a classic one, you know, which is anti Leeds, which is to the tune of "Love Will Fall Us Apart." Leeds are falling apart again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's using intelligence and pop culture together, and this particular song always reminds me. of I could imagine being stood on the terrace and hearing a crowd singing it uh, if they could change the word to their team because it's got that kind of heart-beating, kind of chest-banging kind of quality to it, which I get your point now, Paddy, regarding the November rain thing, that kind of bombastic thing. 
but without being overblown. And it's to the point where you think it's going to get there and it doesn't. Yeah, I get I get your point there. Absolutely. Weirdly, yeah. I just love the way it speaks the subjectivity of music where it's like I see November Rain and you see <laughs> Cheer Up Peter Reed. Cheer Up Peter Reed. It's yeah. just genius. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it, again, it's one of those songs that's got an anthemic quality to it. It's heavy, is this. It's, yeah. it's heavy yeah. and, and uh, it has a little bit of a... Of all the tracks, it's the one that could get up under its own steam and, and walk around the room. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's quite something. This track. Yeah, well, as you as you say, Martin, uh, live it is it is one the entire crowd sings because it is it's got the pace to allow people to get the words in. They they're not stumbling <laughs> out, out over yeah. lyrics for for a start. It is pitched like all good communal singing, like like hymns should be. They're right in in the middle of everyone's range, so everyone can mm. everyone can yeah. uh, sing it. And it you know it's got a. It's got enough interest in the tune. It actually goes uh, uh, goes somewhere. And it is. I mean, we haven't mentioned it much, but um, Carter gigs are, are pretty special from a, a crowd point of view. Mm. Uh, you've, got, you've got the kind of energy and frenetic dancing that you get in, you know, like a, a, a thrash band. You, you, don't, you know, the, the, um, the, the pits are quite intense, aren't they? Mm. Even after mm. all these years. With... Even at gym pop gigs. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, and I think I think a, a lot of that has uh, things, songs like this do actually. So, plus, they give everyone a chance to have a bit of a breather. <laughs> yeah, I was going to um, say, what... uh, pits. <clears throat> when you go and see a band uh, again, uh, to to coin your, to use your phrase of a certain vintage, in if you go and see those bands, you know, you were there. Uh, you were their fans. They were your bands. You sort of the similar ages. The pits strike me as being an older man's game than a younger man's game. So I don't, I don't know that young the young fans really go for pits anymore. It feels a bit like uh, I always think about this when uh, when I moved into the house that I'm in now. We had students next door, and you never saw hide and hair of them because they were, you know, they were um, they stuck in front of computers and chilling out, smoking weed in the front room, watching telly sort of thing, rather than being raucous. Whereas I can imagine. There was a certain address that uh, was used as the title of a of a song that that you guys used years ago, <laughs> Ian. And I bet living next door, you lot wasn't that quiet, to be honest. No, so it's kind of I... is it is it an old man's game? This I don't know. An old man's game. I don't. I I, I I went to the the anniversary uh, gigs. Did you? Were you at any of those, Martin? I I think I went to the drum machines drum machine them. Um and you know and I, I expected it to be a, a little bit more uh, sedate. Because you know you're talking you're talking twenty five years on, um, yeah. uh, but my God, did everyone go for it? They were just a little mm. bit, you know, a little bit heavier yeah. <laughs> than, yeah. than they were. In yeah, yeah, day. and a little bit boldier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but it was, no, it was a case of let's bonkers. relive our youth for the next couple of months, and where people would, in the you know back in the day would come out of the pit and be like, "Whoa, let's go get drunk." Now it's a case of I need to go home. I'm not good, <laughs> <laughs> but. That joy that, that you know, that, that it's a communal thing. And the thing about this song is at the end, it really drops down. And then as, as it's fading out, something that, again, the, the Londonness of it, again, we've got another quote from Alfie at the end. Yeah, it's the, uh, is it the, the, the bit when they um, get his lung x-rays back? Yeah. 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 They are. Yeah. And, and again, it's just like, okay, in case you're in any doubt, is is a bit to remind you where this is from and also 
you know, it's not all all jolliness. There's, <laughs> it's, it's, there's, there's a bleakness there, but it's not kind of that kind of. There is no kind of hope, you know, in the, in as much as I love him, the kind of Morrissey kind of thing. Oh God, everything's miserable. You know, oh gosh, the world is. Oh, this is very much a case of it's informed. And then after all that, on the album, when you think you've hit rock bottom, it brings you to the last song, which sort of brings you down another rum. This well, that's it. This struck it's... me as really strange. This because, on the one hand, it underlines the sincerity and the seriousness of his approach, and that he's actually trying to say some very serious things in an albeit sort of pop mode. Um, but again, in terms of dynamic, my goodness, it grinds to a halt. It's a very, very interesting choice for me, that the final two at the end. Then, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Well, it, it, it is because, uh, as you said, the, the end of Falling on a Bruise, it, you know, it kind of fades out, uh, kind of resolves, and you've got the, the sample. That sounds like the album's over. Yeah. Mm. It, it, and that would be a brilliant way to end the album. It would. And then we get the final come down, which to a certain extent, I, I always think it sounds like it's a song they didn't have time to finish because it's, it's very short. Yeah. It sounds like if, if you look at the, and let's not say formula, but if you, if you look at the kind of pattern of a lot of their songs, it just gets to the point where you, you wait, you're expecting the, the kind of lift and it to go off and do some, something else. And it, it, it kind of doesn't. But from a tonal point of view, it's, it's absolutely spot on. Like, like you say, just kind of ram the, ram the point home. Yeah. To me, the, the way that this album feels, it, it's gone surfing USM right up there, right yes, up there, yeah, right up yeah. there. And then it's a case of we're going to tail it. There's a definite, if you like, a graph where we, we are getting, you know, there is some bleakness here. And this is the final come down. But the thing is, it ends, you think, I want to cheer myself up, put it back at the beginning, yeah. side one. And that it worked with me because I thought, oh, Oh, and that jolly one again, and I'd go back and I'd go through that journey again. Yeah, it obviously no no track sequencing happens by accident. That's a given. But hmm. the fact that this was last last after um, Bruce was like that was very much no accident. I'd love to. Hmm. I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall listening to the conversation about the sequencing. <laughs> where it's like, oh, which, have we finished with it? No, no, no. We'll put this last. Fascinating stuff. And. From a melody point of view, it's referenced in the song, but this is kind of very much felt lifted from an, a, a, an already written song by somebody else. And the genius that is Jim Bob references it in the song itself, which is the song on Broadway. Yeah. And the fact that the opening lines are being looted, are being begged on the tubes from the Beck and Broadway. And the way he sings it is as. The original song on Broadway, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Broadway. I just thought, well done, well done, well done. <laughs> um, because the first time I actually heard that, this is where I'm going to embarrass myself, was when Leo Sayer and Gary Newman did a cover of it together, and I was like, what? And then I realized it was a B side on one of Gary Newman's early singles, early solo singles. I heard that, and I was like. Okay, that's totally different. But Leo Sierra and Gary Newman, you've got to search it out on YouTube. They're playing the part of drunks, <laughs> like two drunken bums, but Gary Newman's got blue hair and a white face with blue streaks. You've got to watch it. It's hilarious. <laughs> My God, I'm struggling with it. it. I'm struggling yeah. with the concept of those two in the same room. 
that yeah, might, that might well, be the most seventies thing yeah. I've heard. But this was in in the the mid eighties. Oh man! So, like I said, this particular like I said this particular song. As soon as I heard it, it put me in mind of on Broadway because uh, it's got that melody from it. It's, you know, it's 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 not stolen. It's kind of informed from it. Yeah, uh, in, a, in an intelligent way. It's it's got like you say, it's got that really 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 kind of. It's definitely the final come down. It's very much a case of right, okay, we're, and here we're going, here we go. And that closing line, you know, the bloodiest of Marys, but I'm too to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Say no more. Absolutely. <laughs> We've talked about drinking in the album. You know, there's the full stop of it. Well, from my point of view, then, thanks for choosing this one, Ian, because this has been really interesting to get into, and I'm certainly going to try. Uh, everything that Carter have, have, have put out there and, and try and get a little bit more into them. They're very good. A look at the solo stuff as well. I kind of feel like we've framed this album a bit like Jim Bob wrote it himself. Yeah. Um, and uh, Fruit Bat is a very accomplished mu- musician. If you look yeah. at his solo stuff, I mean, he, uh, he played with Ferocious Dog for the last couple of uh, uh, years as well. He, very accomplished musician, very good songwriter mm. as well. Um, it's just we we maybe got a bit hung up on the the lyrics, which we know. It, yeah, but the one thing that we talked about throughout is the melodies and the way that the songs carry yeah, it. Absolutely, that's very much a team effort. And as I mentioned earlier on, the the kind of the harmony parts a lot of that was down to Fruitback. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. and the and the the more um, riffy stuff as well. Um, you know, it was Fruitback that's kind of hammering those kind of things out. Well, you know. Uh, Jim Bob slings his guitar and gets on with the vocals. And, and let's face it, in the end, Fruit Bat Rugby tackled Paul Schofield. So it's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> Philip Schofield. Not Paul Schofield. Oh, sorry, yeah. Philip Schofield. Yeah, not the right. uh, yeah. venerable yeah. Uh, thespian. Uh, can, we so- <laughs> <laughs> can we sort that out right. in post, please? Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, give it, just give us a clean Philip Schofield. <laughs> and uh, I'll edit it in. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Paddy. Gordon the, go- uh, Gordon the Gopher. Uh, Paddy was Paddy was summing up nicely, yeah, sorry. Uh, and I, I jumped in on that. No worries, no worries. Good album, good album, uh, and I intend to listen tomorrow. So yeah, I think we've rounded that off quite nicely. So uh, uh, thanks for listening, people out there, wherever you are, and uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye for now. Bye.